You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 27 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Good, Brendan. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So today we'll be talking about sideboarding in Classic Constructed. Sideboarding, or pre, pre-boarding, and as, more, as it is uh, more appropriately called, is the act of putting cards in or taking cards out of your deck before the match is played. These can be tech cards specifically meant for the matchup, such as six attacks against Prism, or even swapping enough cards in and out of your deck to change your core archetypes, such as mid-range to control. Sideboarding is, a, sideboarding is key to Classic Constructed, and the feature that sets it apart most from other formats like Blitz. Anyway, Hayden, let's talk about your week in Flesh and Blood. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I have had a really good week. I got to play my first in-person event in about almost four months now, actually. So it was awesome. Went down, played a local armory uh, last night. We're recording on, what is this, Thursday morning my time. So yeah, Wednesday night, which was, um, yeah, it was, it was great. This was like the first time I've played in-person play for so long. So it was good to see some um, some people I hadn't seen in a while, some friends, and, and jam some games. So yeah, uh, I mean, what, I, what did you play? Uh, I, I played some brute. Played some brute action. Chose uh, oh, class constructed. Huh? Did, yeah, class constructed with a, a Reinar flavor. Um, yeah, just had had the had the deck in the bag and um, thought we'll play some brute tonight. So that no, was good. And then other than that, yeah, just more class constructed testing. Um, we did another uh, online draft in the weekend. Um, people have asked how we, how we've done that in the past. We've used TTS, so it's not like the perfect um, way to do it but it's a, it's a good way to get some drafts in um and it's pretty easy to do which is awesome and you can do it across you know time zones and and continents pretty easy to do is a, a bit of an overstatement i think it is uh easy to do if you have a disciplined set of adults if you have anybody <laughs> who's you know slightly gonna be funky in there it's a it's a nightmare because stuff uh, snaps together oh god Drafting in TTS is legitimately it's not, it's terrible. It's not. It's not ideal, but you know, it's better than better than nothing. But no, hoping to hoping to get a real life draft in uh, either this weekend or, or early next week. So, yeah, no, it's been a, been a good week. How about yours? I mean, you've you've had a, a much more you know exciting week. As much as I've been excited to to get out of the house and, and play some flesh and blood, you've actually been uh, you know traveling and, and playing an event over the weekend. Yeah, so I traveled up to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to play in the Team Covenant sealed event. Um, I think there was around 50 people on the day, and we did Tales of Our Seals top eight uh, draft. So I went undefeated in the Swiss um, on Briar. Then I'm drafting Briar as well. Not that like don't don't take a hit from this. Like, oh, I think Briar's really good. That's not the case. My draft deck was a pile of garbanzo beans, so it was looking pretty rough. Um, and you know, there was another guy who had made top eight, a guy named Zach Bunn. <laughs> Some of you guys may know. He was on the um, our time of the round recently and uh, the CEO of Team Covenant over there. So I actually ended up meeting him in the finals. And I had drafted some kind of like, uh, you know, Briar's pig, Briar Pingers and just all around garbage as well. <laughs> and he had Heart of Ice. So I definitely was working, you know, it was a, you know, I had, to, I had an uphill battle to go. Um, but he ended up beating me in the end. It was just like, yeah, it was a it was a tough match with the Heart of Ice, and then he kind of hit me for a lot on the first few turns. I wasn't able to like pitch my deck to set up like an effective end game because I if I if I ever took my you know my foot off the pedal as they say, uh, he would like you know he would have just cracked me back probably for lethal. So it was brutal. You know, it was kind of a grindy one. But congratulations to Zach, you know, champion. 
Um, hopefully he can replicate it again at the calling, um, as well as myself and Dante. We're all hoping to do well. Um, but yeah, other than that, regular testing schedule, cool event. Really enjoyed it. Team Covenant, awesome people. If you don't know who they are, check them out. Um, you know, just a great content creator out there, and they have a great service as well for getting product. Yeah, an awesome service anyway. for for smaller for smaller games, which is fantastic. And Zach's uh, Zach's got you back to back now at events. So um... Zach has beat me in uh, in XP events. I think that Zach has beat me more than anybody in North America, like in actual XP events. I'd have to think there might be a local that's beat me twice, but um, it's hard to say. <laughs> I'm uh, uh, yeah. I'm looking Zach for... is just. At- Zach is steamrolling me. He's uh, he's my my freaking kryptonite right now. But it's okay. I'll, I'll meet him in the calling, and I'm just gonna want to show him who you know, teach him, show him his boss. <laughs> I'm I'm looking out for Zach this weekend. The calling. Zach is um yeah. Zach's a good player. Looking to see what he what he does this weekend at the calling. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about the news. Let's talk about it. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's talk about it. Right, I'm not used to having the first bullet point on the news, but do you want a shout out? We do have we do have a Levia deck tech go up on YouTube. Um. So yeah, obviously we've been talking about Levy a lot. It's been it was kind of one of our main, not one of our main decks, but it was it was definitely a pivotal deck in our testing um, group for Monarch. And obviously, it's just kind of gotten better since then, since Chain has taken the hit that he did. So a really exciting deck moving into Tales of Aria, especially you know um, in lieu of this Prism epidemic that we've entered. Levy is a great choice. Um, so yeah, we do have the deck tech up. If you are interested in more information past the deck tech, such as you know the sideboard guide, deck theory, ratios, math, Excel sheets, all that fun stuff. We got that hosted on the Arsenal Pass Patreon, so check it out. Um, and yeah, like I said earlier, this weekend is the Calling Dallas, so it is a limited Tales of Aria Calling, and it's going to be exciting. I mean, we did, <clears throat> excuse me, we did come off you know the Las Vegas Calling, which was classic constructed, and now we have our first limited event. Um, <laughs> I would say your first limited event in North America, but obviously we had the early ones in 2019. So kind of, the, I don't know, even though relaunch. I, yeah, even though I was a finalist at one of them and I got my PT off it, I will say the first real limited calling in the, in, you know, in North America. So going to be really exciting. Tales of Aria is also an awesome set. I hope I do get to draft it on day two. Um, but yeah, channel fireball is doing production, um, coverage, all that good mm-hmm. stuff. So check it out if you're interested in it. And if you are at the event, and you do see me. I have recently re-dyed my hair, actually about 10 minutes ago, and it did come out quite purple. So if you see me, say hi. I've got this ridiculous, you know, this ridiculous colored hair. Yeah, and um, I will be watching along, uh, looking out for Brennan's hair actually on the on the coverage. So if anyone's going to be following along on, on Twitch, I believe Channel 5 will, of course, again, streaming it. So come join me in the, uh, I don't know, the chat, and uh, we'll... We'll watch we'll see what happens I'm, I'm excited to see some limited play actually um i think that the set is is pretty interesting with how people build you know their sealed pools um i think the the draft on day two will be super interesting as well for sure cool um other news items so i guess a pretty pretty big one this week um with the announcement of the the out of print of crucible <clears throat> so alexis have have announced that uh you know crucible of war as a set as of you know now the the final runs are, are headed to distributors this is on unlimited as well um is on the way to distributors or, or with distributors a uh, pretty short statement from lss just saying that they won't be reprinting crystal of war again which um you know i think when they released their their statement for unlimited originally across that it was across three waves um i don't know if people you know if it was clear or what would happen in the future around 
the printings or whether unlimited would would stop after those waves but as as we now know um with the statement that that they will not be reprinting crystal of war unlimited so yeah a bit of a interesting one there and there's you know, a lot of a lot of discussion in the in the community um more, more so than i guess i probably haven't really had time to digest it so i don't really have too much to say on it right now yep i have absolutely nothing to say on it so on to the next one yeah i think one thing i will say is that they have said that Cards printed in Crucible of War could very well be printed in the future. There's, there's not saying these cards won't be reprinted again. Um, so it would be, a, I guess, a case-by-case -case basis. Obviously, we saw uh, Tunic printed in Crucible after being printed in Weapons Wraith. Um, so we have seen yeah. cards reprinted. It's not, it's not uh, yeah, out of the question. I'm just really looking forward to, you know, a reserve list or something like that. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, disgusting. All right. <laughs> um, anyway, let's move on. Uh, I wanted to call out there's some really great articles on the uh, fab tcg website right now there's a, a new rules article put up by josh scott uh, who's the i believe his title is uh, like the, the rules rules manager rules advisor uh makes you not sure sorry josh <laughs> but um he does a series of uh, these like reprise articles which just um kind of talk about some of the whole topics and and rulings or a lot of rulings that are being asked about uh commonly you know there's one on the the ball lightning interaction um that went up last week so these are really good to check out if you're, you know, heading to events and some of the these cards that are sort of, you know, hot new runs lips, cards that people are playing, interactions that people are sort of talking about. You can go and see these in a really digestible way. You know, you don't have to go and read the comprehensive rules to, you know, all the release notes to find out some of these things. They're just kind of nice hot button topics on the um, on the website. Mm -hmm. Also on uh, the Fab TCG website, we talked about this a little bit last week while we we did our draft pod, but there's also these really great drafting one-on-one articles from the developers up on there for Tales of Aria. So, you know, if you are heading to the calling this weekend or you're maybe heading to a draft or, you know, whatever it might be, just playing some limited, these are great things to check out there. Really talk about some of the archetypes in the the three heroes. Uh, they're very, I think, very bite-sized, uh, very easy to sort of take some some really sort of core and key takeaways from them, um, which, is, which is nice. So... Yeah, there's a new one up there. I think the latest one is on all time, um, but I think every every hero has one now as well, which is yeah, which is good. Mm -hmm. And on that note, this week's time in the round features Flesh and Blood developer Carol. Um, so be sure to watch, you know, check out for that, you know, watch out for that episode. Sorry, when it does drop, I think it's on it's on Saturday, right? It, it definitely is. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And we are. I'm gonna announce this now so that Hayden has to do it, no matter how busy he is. <laughs> You may cut me out, you may edit this. But we are going to move Time of the Round to all podcast platforms. The way it's going to work is that Time of the Round will be released on YouTube first. Um, then there will be a delay period before it gets onto all the podcast platforms. I know a lot of people like listening to this podcast on you know Spotify, Apple, whatever it is. Um, and they want to do the same with Time of the Round for obvious reasons. Our kind of ethos behind not doing that was to funnel the audience to YouTube and kind of you know get everyone together in one place. But it, you know, in lieu of convenience and because we're in, you know, now moved to the structure where you do have a guest on every time. And I think that it is kind of you know, adding something unique to the space mm -hmm. right now. We are going to move it, um, you know, onto the platforms, which is going to be a bit later. So I know that's going to be, it'd be some pretty good news for some people that have been asking me. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I will not definitely not be editing that. That's something that we've talked about for a couple of weeks now, just tried to get it, uh, I guess across the line and try to try to get it done. Um, but it will be happening this weekend so um a couple of days after this comes out the backlog will be uploaded onto yeah onto podcast services and then each week i think three days after um the youtube episode of time in the round drops there will be the podcast uh, or the the audio only version uploaded so you have you know 
two two options to go and listen to it. You can listen to it twice if you want to. You know, there's some some good interviews that we've had. Um, had Brian Brian last week, um, Carl this week. So yeah, some some great stuff. Yeah, and fine. You know, also finally, just want to shout out the Patreon. We are over 200 patrons, so it's absolutely incredible. It's just been blowing up, which is awesome for us. So that's the Arsenal Pass Patreon. We do offer you know exclusive content there i mentioned that with the with the levia deck tech we do that for every deck tech um as well as exclusive pods live sessions and obviously that personal midas touch you know with communicating with us um on the actual patreon so check it out if it's something you're interested in it is very much an extension of our podcast or of our youtube um and just a great way to interact more with the community i do want to mention as we close out the news here is that next week is going to be a double gameplay because we had some issues in production this past week. We weren't able to upload the gameplay. Luckily, we had the deck tech, so we were able to get content out. But next week, we're going to have to do, you know, we will make it up. We got double gameplay. And um, as always, if you're listening to this on YouTube, go ahead and shoot us a comment of what heroes you want to see us play because we haven't picked them yet. Yeah. Anyway, Hayden. I think, um, I think Brendan ended up sitting on the hard drive is what happened, so... Unfortunately, we did we did lose the gameplay. Yeah, um, for a five three man at you know seventy five pounds, I'm surprised it broke. But anyway, Hayden, let's talk about the command and cookout. Yeah, let's get into the command and cookout. I feel like I had something to 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 mention before we left off, but you know what? It's it's slipped uh, slipped my mind, so we'll just we'll just move on. Um, command and cookout this week. So as always, if you do want to get your you also you promised Brendan, you promised mm. all of our listeners a, a spicy intro, and we didn't get one, but that's okay. I'll I'll let you to defer it to next week. Um, if you want to get your questions in for the Commander Cookout, please send those through to arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Um, and if you know if there's a question that's really in-depth that you want to drop in the comments as well, uh, then please do, and we'll, we'll try and get to those, and we might pick it up on the pod next week. Um, I am actually uh, I am commandeering the Commander Cookout section this week for myself, Brendan, to, uh, to pose mm, a couple of questions to you. So selfish. But I have a couple of things I want to ask. So... Calling Dallas is this weekend, uh, so I wanted to to get a few sort of insights, you know, into what we might expect for the Calling Dallas. Um, you just, you know, this past weekend played in Tulsa in the Ten Covenant sealed event. So you know, you played a big sealed event. You played a top eight draft. Very, yeah. uh, you know, very obviously smaller scale of what we're going to see this weekend in Dallas, but you know, an emulation of some ways of of the format we're going to see. So, a few questions for you. First of all, what do you, you know, what do you think of the steel format going in? Uh, do you think that we're going to see uh, players you know, try and, I guess, play a hero that they want to, you know, force a hero almost, or are players going to actually look to seal? You know, in the in the last sealed format, we saw a lot of prism being played, right? Yep, we definitely did see a lot of prism, but in this in this uh, in this format, we're going to see uh, probably a bigger disparity. I think that Briar is more popular than Prism was. Prism was like uh, overrated, right? Like it was legitimately overrated, and there was a lot of like a lot of available strategies to beat that deck and sealed for my my opinion and i'm sorry that i have you know i haven't been able to have something more spicy or hard take i do think that briar is actually like on average quite quite decent and sealed so it's a one of the easier picks um and you can have a briar pool that's pretty average that does quite well especially if you draw the cards in the correct order um but yeah, I mean, I think that there's going to be a ton of Briar and Sealed. A ton, a ton, a ton. Like, actually so much. And then obviously followed up by Oldham and I think finally Lexi. Like, Lexi, a lot of people are scared of. Um, a lot of people are scared of getting fatigued. What's funny is that over the past month, 
almost all of my sealed games have not been against pile or whatever you want to call it. So they have been like 30 deck v 30 deck or 32 or something like that. And, you know, of course it's much worse for me because my opponents you know, started thinking a little bit more rather than playing 40 card decks. When we get to the calling, there's gonna be a lot of people playing 40 card decks. Um, that is more concerning to me. Like, you know, in terms of like the threat of that strategy is if I'm playing Lexi, if I'm playing anything else, it's a total joke. So, um, yeah, I think that, all of those factors lead to Lexi being probably pretty unpopular in the sealed portion. And um, yeah, I don't know. Hey, let's get your thoughts on the sealed portion before I, I delve into a, a old draft here. Well, I, I have, yeah, it's a, I have more questions, but um, my, my view on sealed, I think I've played a lot less than, than yourself. Uh, obviously, it's not a format that is really that relevant for, for myself. Um, no sealed events coming up. Nationals on the horizon at some point, but that's draft. Um, so I've kind of left sealed to to yourself and Dante and been moving on with classic constructed. But I think from the games we did play, obviously the first couple of weeks played a lot of sealed. Um, I do think that there's certain you know certain cards you're looking for to make your sealed pools viable and different heroes. Um, Riot does feel to me like it is the one that you can can kind of cobble together. And if your sealed pool is kind of weak, you can still have a, a pretty coherent game plan, especially if you just have a couple of cards that can uh, really push through like late game damage. Um, but I do, I do think as well that the Lexi is probably being underbuilt. I've seen a lot of pool, uh, pools where um, I feel like there's pretty reasonable Lexi decks in there, um, and some really good ways to close out games with you know like a, a couple of pumps, uh, a couple of really strong arrows that, that can confuse reasonably well into the late game. One of the cool things, I actually think, uh, Lexi is the deck that um, is one of the easiest to I guess pitch for an in-game with because you um, your fuses have a a lot more impact in the late game to like stop pivot turns um you know help with dominate you've dominated on a stick so you can always like you know push dominate in the late game um so yeah that's probably my kind of take on sealed but i want to ask you Brendan, before you get into draft mm -hmm. you, you know sit down saturday uh you open your sealed pool what's like the one card that you're hoping to to open if you could pick you know one card first pack what's deep the blue. card <laughs> yeah it's deep blue deep blue it's like it's not even it's literally not even close like there's broken cards like Oak and Old. Like Oak and Old is freaking broken and sealed. It's the dumbest card. There's not obviously it's not induction chamber level dumb, but it's still dumb because if you play that, you double fuse it. I mean, it is really game losing. But I have to be somewhat reasonable, so I think I have to pick something between the common and rare slot. And it, like it's deep blue. It's all day long. Like that's what you want in your in your seal bulls. Is you want that deep blue. The the effect of that card on the format and what you can do with your deck if you have that in there. And, and how differently you can build it, I think it's massive. And I love Deep Blue so much. It's just the greatest card. How many times can uh, Brennan say Deep Blue and, you know... And, and <laughs> it's the uh, alliteration of love. <laughs> okay, so Deep Blue is the card you want to see when you open your packs on Saturday. Let's talk about draft then. So, you know, let's uh, let's say you make it to day two and, and hopefully, you know, all things are going well and you've tested and you make it to day two. Sit down at your table. Do you have any, you know... Uh, we don't need to dive too deep into this, but do you have any preconceived ideas heading into that draft? Um, or are you are you pretty open to, to what the table feeds you? Oh, my preconceived idea is that a lot of potatoes are going to try to force Briar, which is like not fantastic in draft. Um, and that's not because Briar is typically is way worse in draft. It's just like, you just this format, you don't force. You definitely do not force in this format. Um, you're going to end up with a terrible deck most of the time. Um, but... If I want to give you a positive thing to go in with, this is that I'm going to play a safe draft. I'm going to play a smart draft. And uh, after the testing we've done, I don't want to go into too deep. I know that's really ambiguous, but trust me, I'd be giving away way too many sprinkles if I said anything more. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you play conservative to an extent. Um, and I think that's really important in Tales of Aria because you can get absolutely, you know, shafted by doing, <laughs> you know, yeah. doing the wrong thing. And we, you know, if you do want to hear a bit more about draft, uh, we did talk about draft on the pod last week and did dive in with some, some things about Tales of Aria that uh, I think are important sort of takeaways for, for this early format, um, things that you can sort of come into draft with. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know why, I don't know why you're sitting at the table of potatoes. I don't know how potatoes can draft, but I'm not sure what that means. But anyway, Brendan. Um, if so, I will explain. People aren't potatoes, but people who try to force Briar and draft because they think that it's, you know, overpowered, that's a potato right there. Well, um, sounds like you're trying to, like, get everyone to, to not draft Briar so you can pick up all the cards. That's what I'm hearing. Okay. Hearing. I mean, <laughs> all right. Hayden, we talked about this. You're not supposed to say it on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, not at all not at all um <clears throat> i will say one thing on draft i think if you can find the seat where you're one of the two drafters on a hero so you know presumably you can have three on one hero three on another hero and then two on a third hero if you can find yourself in the seat where you're in one of the two drafters or maybe a, uh, you know maybe there's four of one hero and you get to you know find yourself in a, a solo seat which is maybe pretty tough to do but if you're in the, the you know one of the two the duo seat uh, you're going to put yourself in a really good position to have a really strong draft. Uh, find you know your class cards coming back around the table because you know there's only one other person taking them. Um, so that is kind of one of my goals when I sit down at a, a Tales of Aria draft is try and find that uh, try and be one of those those two two um, hero drafters. And that's not always going to happen. So sometimes you have to commit before that can happen. But it's uh, definitely something that I'm I have a that's my only goal I think is if I can find myself in that seat I'm probably going to be in a I good feel position. like that's that's the ideal state of most uh, good players. You know, there are probably some people out there that actively don't want to play a certain class. And maybe we will, we will get to a format where uh, one class is significantly less powerful than the other. This is not that class. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is not that format. No, um, so yeah, that, that situation you described, I think is the ideal state of any competent player. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment and I'll, uh, I'll put it back in the, in the repertoire um <laughs> let's move on let's uh let's head into the, the main topic of the pod yeah, Brennan. awesome so we talked a little bit about it in the introduction but hayden why don't you expand on what we mean when we say sideboarding yeah sideboarding you talked about it at the top of the show right Brendan? it is you know sideboarding pre-boarding it's the it's the pre-game procedure right what is where all this is happening where you're setting your deck up for the match that you're about to, to play so um it really is all about you know, first of all, coming in with the the right setup. So having the the matchups in mind that you're going to play against, and what you're actually going to do to your you know to your eighty cards to make sure that you're set up for those. You're probably going to have a core. Whether your core is between 40, 50 cards, and we've talked about deck building and cores before um, on the pod. Um, you can go back and, and check out that episode if you want um, from probably a couple months ago now. Uh, but you're going to have that, and then you're going to have these you know twenty, thirty extra cards, and those cards are going to come in and be your pre-board sideboard that are going to allow you to set the deck up in the way to play the matchup the way that you want to play it. Whether it's you know you might be pre-boarding just to uh, you know add a few defensive pieces in, you might be pre-boarding to you know, slow the game down a little bit or to, you know, augment your current plan. Or you might be trying to change your game plan entirely, right? You might be moving from this more mid-range deck, you're taking out some of your aggressive red cards and you're putting in, you know, some more defense reactions, some more uh, late game cards that allow you to to pitch deck and set up for, for an end game. So that's that's really what you're doing in a, a pre-boarding, sideboarding, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about how to design a sideboard and you can't do that without talking about why you would choose certain cards to enter your sideboard cards so the lowest hanging fruit here is cards that are you know in there to counter certain matches or 
make weaker matchups better. Um, this is easily, you know, the most easy way to represent this is through Prism with the six attacks. You just pump in your six attacks, and you're going to be doing a lot better versus Heralds if you didn't have them most of the time. Then you've got cards that are going to enhance your game plan, right? Like, I've got a shell, of an aggressive Katsu shell. It's around 47 cards. Um, you know, I sit down across the table from another aggro matchup. I'm, you know, maybe I'm just pumping in 13 more cards. that are just going to speed me up. I add the Razor Reflexes. I add, you know, maybe another combo line all that good stuff just to make sure I can go as fast as possible. You know, I'm not going to need that other part of my sideboard that might be defense reactions to help me deal with something like Bravo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's actually, cause you just talked about, um, you know, like cards, like silver bullets or cards that are uh, specifically coming to help counter a matchup. And I actually think in, in flesh and blood, that's uh, a lot more difficult than other games. So in other games, you might have cards that have like, just, you know, they have these uh, single dimensional aspects to them right so you know they they come in and they say destroy something or they say counter something or they say x can't be played and we have a little bit of that right we've got cards like chains of eminence uh we saw like the prevalence of snag as like a, a specific targeted counter card in the last format right um but primarily what you're going to find is that your your cards that you you bring in if we're talking about specific cards they're going to uh help fill a role rather than you know be specifically for one turn or for one uh, scenario they're more so like if you use a defense reaction for an example right the the situation of those cards is that they come into your deck um and they help you to be able to you know stop on hit effects that your opponent's going to attack you with uh, but you've also got yeah. to like consider the like the negative impact of these as well right which is something that we're going to i think talk about later for sure i think it's important to note like with cyborgs you you can change your deck to adapt to your opponent's expected strategy. So, you know, sometimes it looks like in changing your game plan entirely. Um, so, for instance, you know, Rhinar mid-range switching to control or Dash switching from control to mid-range. So we do have, you know, there are a lot of silver bullet cards like you talked about, but sometimes it's a complete, you know, a complete archetype shift on the, the entire game plan, right? Yeah, it is. And if we're talking about, you know, we're saying about how do you design a sideboard, you've got to, you really have to start with the core of the deck. So... Whenever you, whenever you've got to have a, first of all, you need like a single game plan. You need to have an idea of how you're going to play your game. So let's just assume we've got that already. We've got an idea of how we're going to play our game plan. Um, let's use, you know, why not? Let's use uh, Rhino as an example, right? I'm going to play a game plan where I'm going to be pretty aggressive. I'm going to look to uh, trigger lots of intimidates to, you know, deny my opponent the ability to defend well. That's my, that's my core game plan. Now, if I'm looking at how to design a sideboard, well, I'm thinking like, First of all, there's like a, there's a few different aspects that I need to consider. It's like, what are my weaknesses? What am I weak to? Um, that's how I'm gonna choose how to design a sideboard first and foremost, probably because I wanna I wanna tackle you know my my sideboard my preboard in a way that's gonna allow me to uh, you know fix those matchups you know quote unquote. So um, if I say you know I think a, a weak matchup for me is like a super like hyper aggressive decks with on hit effects so like Katsu aggro is like you know that's like my, my worst nightmare. So that's where I'm gonna start right. So I have a core of a deck then what how many cards do i think i need to have in my sideboard that can adapt my game plan to play in that fashion um and then the kind of i guess the the thought process you can go through is like yeah okay is there like silver bullets can i just chuck a few defense reactions in or do i actually have to change my game plan entirely so i'm now sat there at the sort of point right brandon where you're going well I can can I just throw six to nine cards in that um, fit into my game plan okay? Or actually, if I put in six to nine defense reactions, does that change my game plan so drastically? You know, like I can't I can't enable these you know strong four and five card hands anymore because I've got these defense reactions. Do I need, now need to change my game plan entirely? Yeah, for sure. And I think I want to kind of you know 
extrapolate a bit when you said that, which you talked about the core. So you can't talk about sideboards or preboards without talking about a core. Um, and a core is just well, the way we like to look at it. Obviously, you can just have a 60 guard core, take things in and out. Um, but the way we like to approach it is having you know 44 to 57 cards. Kind of you know these you know these 44 cards or whatever it is is. It, my deck will execute its game plan every single time with just these cards. This is what it absolutely needs to just, you know, get its, um, you know, its core game plan across. And then everything else just, you know, comes in accordingly or, you know, helps in, enhance the game plan, right? Because sometimes it's not going to be a silver bullet scenario. Where it's like, ah, oh, I just bring in my six attacks versus prism. Sometimes sitting around, it's like kind of, this is what you understand to be a 50-50 matchup. Um, and there are no particular silver bolts to help you against this specific hero. And you're just like, okay, now I bring in my 13 other cards that I need or you know, 17 other cards that are just going to help me, my game plan, be more effective, right? You yeah. know, it might be in the case where you're like, you're like, yeah, if I could play these 44 cards, that is my game plan. It would be powerful. But fortunately, you do have to play 60. So these are going to come in. They're going to enhance um, and just going to accentuate that, that core plan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you could, I think if you even take it back a, a step further, you, you simplify it even more, right? There's, there's a few different things that you could do. So you could um, you could enhance your current game plan. So I'm just going to keep using this right now example because I think it's a, an easy one and it's probably uh, pretty easy to grab onto. I could enhance my game plan. So I want to be even more aggressive. I want to put even more pressure on and deny more, even more cards from my opponent's hand. And I so I you know my pre-board helps me supplement my plan in that way. Maybe my sideboard actually... Uh, helps me supplement my deck by changing the game plan like we just talked about so i can enhance my game plan i could change my game plan um or i could you know i could do something in between where i i bring some more you know like you say targeted cards in which allow me to play basically the same game plan but on certain turns maybe i get to play uh slightly out off um off plan hands so rather than just being like you know rise and beat down blood rush bellows or some combination of these cards you know alpha rampage on most turns maybe now every fourth or fifth turn uh, i have these you know reasonable defense reactions in my deck where my plan actually becomes like you know block out with three cards uh you know use a defense reaction get a setup card into arsenal like maybe that is now what my, my plan looks slightly different but basically the same so yeah i can augment i could change or i could just supplement slightly um with some some targeted cards yeah, when talking about sideboards, I think it's really important to be careful, right? Um, you have to pay attention to those ratios, ratios as you add in all these new, new cards. Like those defense reactions may feel real good when a crippling crush comes across the table, but they also may they also might be devastating when you draw them on turns where you have to pivot. Yeah, yeah. If you're like thinking about the design of your sideboard, right? It's like you, there's so many different things to to consider. So if you take one of those three routes that we talked about. Then yeah, what are what are the cards that I'm actually bringing in do to my core game plan? So you know, if you're changing your core game plan, that's one thing. But if you're actually looking to to you know you know supplement it a little bit, change it a little bit, um, those cards are going to have an impact. My my favorite example of that right is uh, defense reactions and Katsu. I think um, you know early days of Flesh and Blood, we saw a lot of Katsus kind of just have you know have their core aggressive deck with razor reflexes and combo lines and scars and snatches, and then they might have like unmovables and sink belows and flick flax in their sideboard and it's like yeah you can bring these cards in but what does that um what does that do to like you know can you afford these cards can you afford to be playing an unmovable now you have a bunch of um red cards in your deck that aren't aggressive do you have enough damage in your deck now like is your ratio of damage to to resources now correct um and then you know it's turn three of the game you've just taken the tempo um and you draw up and you've got an unmovable and a sink below in your hand 
be very difficult for you to keep uh, keep the tempo when you've got two cards that you know actively do nothing on the offense in your hand. So whenever you decide or when you start, you know, sit down to design a sideboard uh, pre-board plan, um, one of the, the the things I think is most important is like how does this impact my core game plan? Um, and you know, if you if you're purposely trying to change your core game plan, then that's fine. That's that's one thing. But if you're actually you know not purposely trying to change it, you're just trying to tweak it, trying to do these little movements, little turn the dial here and there. Um, one small turn of the dial can massively impact your overall game plan. Mm-hmm. And Hayden, so what are some ratios other than pitch and resource, obviously, that we should potentially be paying attention to when pay, paying attention to? Sorry, when we're adding in these sideboard cards, <laughs> you can ping attendant to if you want. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you know me, big fan of ratios, um, but it's not just it's not just resource ratios that I'm sort of considering. It's like um, it's everything else. Every, everything that you when you look at balancing and weighing up your deck could be could be a ratio. So um, if we're talking about sideboarding in the new the new age, maybe we're uh, we're Briar players or we're picking up old time for the first time or we're picking up Lexi, and we're thinking about some sideboard plans. So we've got like this really strong core plan. Um, let's let's use Briar. We've got this like really explosive lightning Briar deck um, that we're we're happy with maybe, um, and we're thinking about some sideboard options. And there's some like cards that we really like the look of. Uh, maybe they're from you know older sets, and they're not element cards, so they're not Earth. Uh, sorry, they're not lightning cards. If I start uh, you know putting jamming some of these cards in, you know um, maybe it's because I want like more zero attacks, so I, I you know I don't have to pay for them as much against ice. Uh, and then I start taking out, you know, uh, uh, lightning cards to to put, you know, snatches and scarf forest cards into my deck. Maybe um, I'm actively changing the ratios of my of my elements, right? So I'm taking out these lightning cards that help me fuse um, these cards that help me set up my big turns to put in these these cards that, in my eyes, in my view, my cyborg plan is to, you know, reduce my cost structure against uh, against um, these ice decks. Could be one of the things I'm looking to do. But I'm actually actively changing my ratios, so. That's a, I think, a you know, pretty relevant example to the current format of, of one of the ratios that you have to consider. But it, you know, it's not like you know, Brendan and I we've talked about this. It's not just uh, resources. It's not just element cards. It could be the number of attack actions in your deck versus non-attack actions. If you're playing, um, you know, something like uh, some of these Runeblade heroes, it could be the the defense value of your deck. So uh, I think about this in Levia quite a lot. If you're playing Levia and you're like, um, you know, I want to bring in these like. Deep rooted evils and these, um, you know, you know, I want to play like Shadow Blasphemer and and Pulpings and all these cards. It's like, well, if I'm bringing some of these in from my sideboard for a certain matchup, like maybe I'm bringing Pulping in to be more aggressive. Um, you know, I'm putting in more cards into my deck that don't defend. Like, how does that hurt my game plan? So, yeah, there's there's more when it comes to sideboarding and deck building, but especially in sideboarding because you've probably already got your core set. Um, there's so many things to consider with your ratios and what you're changing, uh, and not just not just your resources, not just well, I bring in four red cards and I take out two blue cards. I throw my ratio of resources off. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of things you're changing when it comes to comes to ratios. I'm sure I've probably missed some examples right there, Brendan. <laughs> well, on that note, I just want to hit some quick do's and don'ts of sideboard cards. So do have cards that help you in weaker matchups. Don't overboard to where your core game plan no longer functions. Big trap. Um, do consider your ratios after boarding in each matchup. And don't cut resource cards to fit extra sideboard cards. There are some offenders in our testing group. I won't name them, but they are incredible players. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you cut <laughs> cutting the resource cards to try to get in some more gas cards, I'll be into some and you know some matchups. 
that's that's definitely it's definitely a trap. So make sure you're you're kind of hitting that resource curve you need, staying consistent. And flesh and blood often the most consistent plan is going to be the best, especially if you're looking at you know some of these big tournaments. Where you got to go through these large rounds of Swiss and then come into top eight. You know, consistency is the key. Anyway, let's I talk to- about how to s- what. Oh, you say, Mr. What? Mr. What? Dale? What was that? <laughs> I want to talk about consistency. Actually, why are you why are you just like throwing it out there? Yeah, before we jump to the, uh, I'm just just regathering myself, Brendan. Before we jump to the next uh, the next point about sideboarding, you talked about consistency, and I want to I want to harp back on that for a second. But first of all, I did want to say, Brendan has come to the realization, you know, that cutting resources for power cards is you know is a bit of a, a bit of a trap, and I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, that he's finally admitting yeah. it. Sometimes I get a little frisky, and I still like kind of do it, you know. Yeah, how, how many blues are you playing in this matchup? Oh, just 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 ten, ten. No, I don't think <laughs> not that bad. Um, but I want to talk about consistency because that is like that is one of the you know if you are playing a game where you get to actively set up the second half of the game with the cards that you want to see, the cards that you want to draw, and that's what we're doing with flesh and blood, right? If you get back to your second cycle, you get to you know you get to set that up. You get to set up the cards that you're going to be playing into. Um, consistency is really important because it comes from that, right? But you actually want consistency in like the first cycle of your deck as well, because you won't get to the second cycle if your first cycle doesn't have consistency, or you'll be in matchups where the second cycle of your deck it won't matter, uh, or even you you might be playing a deck where it doesn't matter. So consistency in those situations is is um is really key, and and one of the ways that you know when you look at sideboarding and and um, preboarding, whatever you want to call it, when you're looking at setting your deck up in the pregame procedure. There's certain plans where I think you want to trade consistency for power um, and vice versa. So, uh, you know, I think I'm just going to continue to run with this uh, this Reiner, I guess, um, example because I've, I've started with it. But let's just say I'm playing into this this ninja deck, uh, this aggressive ninja deck. It's a real concern for me. Uh, consistency is going to be less important to me in that matchup where I feel like I'm already a bit of a, a bit of a dog in that matchup. I feel like I'm I'm uh, on the bad side of that matchup. I would rather trade some power into my deck for an opportunity to to probably be able to set up turns to win the game. So I feel like if I have a if I can consistently do something that's not good into a matchup, that's that's not good, right? That's still not going to be good for me um, unless they stumble or they have bad hands or get some some bad variants, whatever it might be, or, or play a bit badly. Whereas you know if I can trade a bit of that consistency for a bit of uh, you know potential power spikes um, that could allow me to to get hands to win the game, well. I have you know a lot a little bit of chance to actually to get something out of that match so there is there are situations where as much as i want consistency i will generally keep the core of my deck very consistent as consistent as possible but there are there are times where i'm willing to trade some of that consistency for power especially in the the sideboard uh, of my of my decks and that's where that sort of comes in with pre-board and sideboard so you know against aggressive decks that might be an opportunity if i use my rhino example on the flip side of that Maybe I'm playing into another mid-range deck. I'm going to value consistency really highly. If I'm able to grind out that game, just you know, get small advantages over the game against another mid-range deck, that's probably going to be all I need. So I will go back for the consistency play. Yeah, consistency is the word of the day for Mr. Consistency versus power. <laughs> I want to talk about how to set up a sideboard plan. And my favorite and first point here is uh, don't have any dead cards in your sideboard. And it's like you're like, what? No, you would be surprised. You set up a sideboard, you write it out, and like it's a key key word there, right? Or a key set of words. <laughs> write it out because I've set up a sideboard, had cards on my sideboard, written out every single matchup. Um, then I realized that there was you know maybe one or two cards on my board that literally never came in. Um, maybe I'm just you know, not very intelligent, which is you know, I've been accused of that before. Uh, but sure yeah, no. definitely write it out. And make sure that you're actually utilizing the sideboard that you've allotted slots for. 
Yeah, so there's a couple of things. First of all, that's not what I thought you were going to say when you were when you went for point one. Um, I don't know why. I just had other stuff in my head. But the the idea of this of like writing this out, um, there's a there's a kind of I I think it's like a process. So when you have the core of your deck and you're trying to design a sideboard, you're going to start to target matchups like we talked about, right? So it could be matchups that you're weaker into. It could be matchups where, um, you know, you want to completely change your game plan. Like whatever your sideboard strategy is, whatever, however you've designed your sideboard, let's just say that you have a 50 card core, right? That's going to leave you with, you know, say you play six equipment um, because you have a null rune equipment. It's going to leave you with 24 cards sitting off to the side that you can, you can feasibly put into your deck, right? Um, so... I'm gonna to need to play ten of those in the matchup, and if that's if that's ten cards that just completely change my deck, um, okay, that's what those ten cards are dedicated to, and then maybe I have a few other cards that are dedicated to in a couple other matchups, just like tweaking my my core game plan slightly, and in the end we end up with like twenty cards that are accounted for plus the fifty main deck, and then you're set with these other four cards, and often the temptation is just to be like, well, I'll just like play four really good cards, I'll just put in like four more defense red defense reactions, or you know I'll put in four of um you know this like really good attack action um you know whatever it might be and what you might find is actually <clears throat> you never end up bringing those cards in or you do bring them in and they don't actually help your deck they're good cards but you know your game plan is so cohesive that these now four cards just make your game plan worse they don't work with that transformational sort of cyber plan that you're you're working with um they're just they're just kind of dead right so yeah you you go through so, um... Sorry, I just don't want to have to. It's like perfect example is you can't just shove CNC into every deck. <laughs> just I, kidding. See, it's I blood. Yeah. actively it's avoided blood. that you, one. You, you absolutely can. It's flesh and blood. Just shove it in that deck. <laughs> well, I mean, CNC is, is a very it's a very easy card to put in almost any deck, right? Like I probably am not jamming into my Akano deck, for instance, right? But it's like it's a it's a card that's easy to put in. Uh, e strikes in the lawn that's pretty easy to put into decks. So people people do this, and do you know what? It's fine. Like. There's, there's times where it's not going to make sense. You know, it's like, well, it's not an earth card to help me with my earth fuses. It's not a, um, you know, an ice card that helps with my ice fuse, or it's not, you know, a payoff card, whatever it might be. There's times where it's like, well, there's just no room for this really strong card. And that's that's perfectly fine, right? Because you're focused on synergies. But, you know, anyway, I, I digress. Going back to the, the sideboard piece is like these four cards, rather than just like shoehorn and jam some stuff in there, what I, what I would suggest and say is one of the best processes to take when it comes to designing and, and to sort of coming up with your cyborg plan is to to go away, like write it out, as Brendan said. So what, what cards are coming in for what matchup? Because, you know, I'm either changing my game plan in one matchup or I'm supplementing my game plan in one matchup or whatever it is. You come to the end and go, okay, like what are the cards that maybe feel like dead weight? Either they don't come in in any matchups, they come in in one matchup, um, then you you revise right you reset and you go okay now i have this plan like these these four cards that i've chosen uh maybe they're coming in one matchup maybe that's fine right because maybe it's a matchup that's like probably going to be five to ten percent of your expected meta and that's like okay to commit those cards to because they're not really doing anything else uh, but if they don't come in at all then probably go back and just start to think what what could these be could these be something that supplement my game plan could it be for like a, an obscure matchup because i just have the slots available for it you know a bad matchup that maybe my people won't play but i have the slots maybe it's three no in equipment because you know like i'm i'm not very good against wizard and someone might play wizard um and then just go and test like go and test your cyborg plans play a couple of games into each of those matchups you've come up with that cyborg plan your transformational maybe your supplemental those two sort of like you know key game plans that you've come up with your pre-game plans and see how they go and then, you know, you've got four slots to play with. You might need, it might turn out that actually you want those four slots to be, um, you know, for that, we talked about that transformational plan. 
Uh, maybe I'm, I'm playing, I'm using my Rhino example again. I'm playing a Rhino deck. I've got a 50 card core. I want to bring in 10 cards that are going to help me move into like a more of a controlling sort of style deck. Uh, maybe actually I need like, I need more cards than that. There's like four cards in that plan of my core that just don't feel right. Uh, they don't block properly or they don't help me do anything. Um, and I decide that actually the last four slots that I've got available on my sideboard, they're going to be four more cards for this specific plan. Um, so now I'm going to bring in 14 cards in and I'm, you know, going to be cutting four cards, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I, like you said, this is something that I preach, I think, uh, maybe to a fault, but definitely write down the sideboard for many different reasons. We can avoid, you know, the problems of having cards on a board that we don't play. But also, I think it's always important to do the, as much work as you can before you sit down in front of your opponent, right? This includes practice, things like that. But this should heavily, he- like, by writing down the sideboard, it should heavily mitigate common sideboarding mistakes that we've mm-hmm. all made at some point, right? Where it's like, you know, you were supposed to have in the null rune. Like, that 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 one's obviously the most egregious that, like, a lot of us will forget. Where it's like, oh, I'm actually not supposed to be playing 3 CNC in this match. But all these all these kind of things that can creep up when you're just kind of going off memory or something like that. I think it'll also, you know, it'll also force you to focus on the only thing that matters, which is how you're going to actually win the game. So you don't have to sit down in front of your opponent and be like, okay, let me just kind of reevaluate and reconstruct my entire game plan in my deck. Um, so instead, you have it written out, stay true to the plan. Sometimes you can make some last-minute changes. I know that <clears throat> one time at a road to Nationals, I lost in the final round of Swiss um, to a chain player who was playing like a very aggressive um, low-bud that list that you lost Flock of the Featherwalkers. I was not playing CNC in the matchup initially. When I met him in the finals, I threw in CNC because Flock of the Featherwalkers is like CNC's, you know, I don't know. It's his best day, right? <laughs> so, of course, it's going to be a card. And also, throw him in, absolutely won me the game. Yeah, I, I really like uh, what you said about, you know, being able to, um, I guess, be prepared, do as much work before you get to the table. Um, the other thing that I think it really helps with is just, like, mental fatigue. Like, you just don't have to... If you sit down at the table, you already know your game plan. Uh, you already know the way that you're going to sideboard, what cards come in, what cards come out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you just don't have to... You know, you can start the game like just thinking about the match. You don't have to be thinking about, oh, did I, did I put that card in? Should I have maybe tweaked this? Or oh, what might they be playing? You know, what equipment? Rah, rah, rah. You can just be like, yep, I have the list here. Because also, uh, people, I'm sure people know this, but if you don't, you can have sideboard notes. You can have notes that you can refer to before the game starts. So during the pre-game procedure, that's when you, you know, you first of all, you flip up your hero, and then you have time to decide what equipment you want to play and what what um, what deck you're going to present in terms of like cards and your sideboard pre-board plan. So you, during that time, before you present your deck for, to your opponent to cut, uh, you have you can look at and refer to notes, outside notes. So you can come with your full sideboard uh, plan written out, what comes in, what comes out. The you can even write yourself a few notes like the most important cards in this matchup are X Y Z. Um, you know, so that before you start the game, you've learned, that's like imprinted in your mind. Those are the things you're thinking about, and I, I would recommend this actually. So you can, you now, can do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry for interrupting you. No, you can't, man. <laughs> but I do want to talk about a concept that creeped up in Monarch that is even more relevant as we head into Tales of Aria, and that is, yes, absolutely, <laughs> hedgeboarding. Hedgeboarding is yeah. way more relevant as we end Tales of Aria. So Flesh and Blood used to be a little bit more clear-cut. <clears throat> you would sit down in front of your opponent. You pretty much know what they're playing based off the hero. That is getting close to being much less reliable, right? Especially if you look at the Tales of Aria heroes. Are they Lightning? Are they Earth? Are they both? Who knows what they're doing, right? You know, this was the rep- kind of the example of this in Monarch, was you would sit in front of Katsu. Is it Katsu Control? Is it Katsu Aggro? Your board plan changes drastically most of the time when you're, when you're looking at that. Is it Prism Herald or is it Prism Aggro? So I think it's important to develop what we call hedge boards. 
you know, sideboard plans that are good into both. They're not great into either, but they're good into both. And this is how you, you know, you mostly use hedge boards to get through Swiss. And when you're in top eight, then you can commit to your full boards that kind of attack that certain archetype. So when you say, you know, you talk about a hedge board, what's, um, can you give us an example? Like, what does it mean to hedge board? Like, what am I hedging against? What am I hedging for? What is, what does that kind sure. of mean? So I'm going to take you back in time. We're playing chain. We're, we're, you know, we're playing Monarch. We're at the calling. We sit down in front of a Katsu player. Is it Katsu aggro? Is it Katsu control? Well, if it's Katsu aggro, aggro, some of the work, like all the cards that help me in my end game, I probably don't want them, you know, especially things like Eclipse. Like I don't want this block zero, you know, all this other crap that would come in. And I'm also playing 60 cards for sure. It's Katsu control. I might play it quite a bit more, but I can't, I don't know what it is. So I got a hedge. So what we end up doing is we play the 60 cards, but then we keep in as the minimal amount of tools possible to where if it does turn out to be control, we still can win. You know, maybe no more an ultra favored twin because we don't have a 67 card deck that's very, you know, very tuned to beat this. But instead we have a 60 card deck and, you know, we actually do have Eclipse. So if we do have to run to the end game, I can create Marisar. I can craft an end game state with my Rift Binds and my Unhallowed Rights and all this good stuff. And I can reliably beat both strategies. But if I had played something like my control build into a Katsu Agro, where I need to be, you know, getting the tempo and applying as much pressure as possible, it'd be a nightmare. And same thing if I, you know, was playing to play, you know, I was side for aggro against control. So we kind of meet this middle ground where we kind of try to hedge the risk. And that's where the word hedge board comes from. <laughs> it's like a, it's a yeah it's a risk versus reward thing um and i think actually people will realize that they've probably done this for uh, a reasonable amount of time if you've been playing flesh and blood for the past two sets you would probably have actually done this at some point um you know you could use other examples of sitting down against a, a viscerai player you know are they otk are they want to kill orientated or are they like a mid-range version um you know you sit down against you know even, even to the extent of like a prism in the last format like are they an aura based deck or are they a hero based deck and um, a good example, you know, you're playing into an aura, uh, sorry, a, um, a prism deck and say you have some six attacks in your sideboard, uh, you're, you're going to bring those in, right? Because if, if they're there for that matchup and if they're the hero version, you need those uh, probably because they're in your sideboard. Um, and if they're the aura version, well, you know, now you've got to weigh up the risk. So if they are an aura version, these six attacks that are in your sideboard that you're bringing in for this game plan, how much do they hurt your game plan? Um, and that's... Actually, it's all about the preparation. It's not about the time, what's happening right in the match or before you start the match. It's actually all the preparation you put in ahead of time, because uh, you should you should sort of think, be thinking about well, you know, is Prism now as we move through a season, is the Aura version of the deck, say for example, becoming more and more popular? Is it now incorrect for me to actually even have these six attacks in my sideboard because um, going into an unknown Prism player, which is going to be unless you're in top eight, that's what it's going to be. You're not going to know what they're on. Am I actually going to be bringing these cards in? Or are they so bad into auras that I actually just can't afford to play them? So you're doing this like risk versus reward thing, but you're not actually doing it when you're uh, getting, you know, when you're set down two minutes before the game starts. You're actually doing it all in your planning. Well, at least you should be doing it in your planning and your cycle planning. Um, that's when you can come up with those those hedge boards, as Brendan talks about, and do your bit of your your um, your risk versus reward sort of uh, trade-offs and, and um, weigh up those options. So let's talk about adapting your plan and implementing, you know, learnings and being able, being willing to change your sideboard plan. So you're going to work up these plans, you're going to write them all out, and sometimes they're just going to fall on their face. So it's really important to reflect on your sideboard plan, get those reps in, revisit it, retune it. It sounds obvious, but you know, nothing is perfect the first time. And it really is, your sideboard plan often is a toolbox and being able to adapt that toolbox to the meta, to your learnings is 
just yeah. very important. It needs to be a dynamic part of your deck. Yeah, I mean, you you have the opportunity. So I guess adapting, right? You could take it two ways. I guess you're we're sort of more referring to adapting on the on the fly, right? Or are you talking about adapting as in like you play some matches and then you go back and you reevaluate your cyber plan and adapt what that looks like? Yeah, Hayden. So I am talking about the situation where you you know you had you've had your cyber plan, you played you played some games, and now you're coming back coming back home and you're going to reevaluate, right? So you're going to ask yourself questions like, do I actually need nine six attacks into prism, or maybe can I go down to six and you know have three spots that are going to be tools for other heroes, or maybe just added more power cards to accelerate the the pressure I'm able to put out in that specific matchup. Yeah, yeah, which which makes sense, right? Like it's it's um. And it also, actually, if you're prepared, like if you were prepared with your plan to start with, that's just more sort of like mental capacity you can devote to those those thinkings, right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to be trying to also think about actually what is your original cycle plan. Mm-hmm. And you figure out what cards, you know, what cards work, what cards don't work, which ones are underperforming, which ones are overperforming. You know, like we talked about earlier. Um, but the same thing of you know maybe you're using this card not enough in certain matchups. Maybe a card you know you've dev- you've devoted multiple multiple cyborg slots to a certain card you end up playing it and it you know it underperforms it's actually not that good maybe it kind of derails you from your core game plan too much yeah yeah and that's like the that's the evaluation step when you you come back to it um which is honestly I actually think it's one of the most important things because you you could just like kind of rest in your laurels and be like okay this is like this is the the plan that i've got this is what's happening like you know i played it a bunch of times it's like the plan that works but if you don't sort of critically analyze it and come back and say like well actually you know what's missing from the cyborg plan is that uh you know or actually not even just missing it could be actually active things that change right so we talked about earlier you know you put in all these defense reactions and now my core game plan doesn't work like that's one of the things i think you can really um be assessing during this time of, of reflection as i would uh, probably call it yeah, absolutely. And I think when you first build your cyborg plan, it is just based off pure theory. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. Washington Blood has told us anything, it's about you got to get the testing in, you got to get the reps, you got to get the practice. And that's where theory meets reality. And then you come back, you kind of reevaluate and find some sweet spot in the middle where, you know, where your deck is going to actually function at its highest potential rather than, you know, us cooking up all these crazy theories about sleep darting people and turning off hero abilities, right? Yeah, well, I, like I think theory is super important in flesh and blood, and especially in, in sideboarding and preboarding, because rather than just like trying to uh, play every single hero with your, with, you know, play your deck into every single hero and then come up with a cyborg plan from that, I think you should always start with some some theory behind what you're trying to do, right? You should always start grounded in this is the idea that I have. You know, I have this idea that I can move from this like aggressive deck and um, you know change fourteen cards in my deck and become more of a mid range build. Um, and that won't, my theory is that that won't hurt my ability to push damage and set up good hands. In practice, that could be very different, right? Where actually, although your ratios still feel right, still feels like, you know, you haven't traded too many cards in and out that uh, are too different. Um, it might end up just being that like, you know, your four and five card hands just don't play in the same way that they did previously. And that actually throttles the power of your deck massively. So, you know, theory was good. Theory made sense, but in practice, it just doesn't play out the way that you wanted it to. So go back to the drawing board. Maybe the plan changes completely. You scrap the the transformational sort of, um, you know, sideboard of moving from aggressive deck to mid-range deck, um, or you just take a different approach. Maybe it just means that you need different cards or some of these these cards that you bring in need a bit more functionality to be both aggressive and um, defensive, for instance. Mm-hmm. Now, Hayden, I want to do a little bit of back and forth with you to talk about you know, some final tips or other tips 
um, for sideboarding. And uh, I actually have some real world examples for this as well. So I think that talking to people who are enacting different plans than you and understand why they do it um, is really important, kind of cross-pollinating that knowledge uh, and then using that to come back and improve your own board. This, this actually, when this happened to me, was at the calling, right? Um, I was very, very happy with our chain deck. Even at the end, I still think that that was the deck that I would have been on almost card for card for card after everything I'd seen. But we did see that some chain players had, had actually opted for a card called Lunar Tide Plunderer, mm -hmm. red, for, against Prism. And that was nothing special. It was a red that blocked two. That's why we didn't ignore it. But you know what Lunar Tide Plunderer is really, really good against? A Bolton. So yeah, it, was a sure. double, it, yep, it was a double whammy of being a Phantasm, phantasm Breaker and a terrible card for Bolton to face against. So that's one I think we totally missed. Yep. You know, if I was going to come back, you can bet that'd be in my sideboard. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you, you take um, take cues. Like, it could be talking, like you're saying, or it could be, like, spotting what people are doing. But I would say, like, if there's someone, even if it's uh, to the point of down at uh, local armor even, or you wrote to Nationals or uh, your next skirmish this season, if you see someone with a, you know, a different build that you than yours, um why not just like ask some questions about it maybe you guys play a mirror you see a few different things be enacted or you watch one of the games and you see something a little bit different to your plan um that you hadn't really thought about just you know it doesn't mean that you need to go and change your deck to that but it could be an idea there could be a seed of something in there that you could take away um, from having a conversation with that um that player i think for sure i mean even like even something as simple as like why are you playing shadow of blasphemy you can get really you can get a different take on it and maybe maybe they're right, maybe you're right. Or maybe there's a there's a middle ground where you guys are both kind of right and we, we figure out a better way to play altogether. I mean, honestly, doing anything in a vacuum is going to lead to inefficiency, right? But I want to circle back here to talking about the core game plan is the most important. The biggest trap is, is over-sideboarding and sideboarding for the wrong reason. Just throwing in defensive cards into offensive plans could just totally ruin your game plan and actually make your deck worse. You're like, okay... If he crippling crushes me and I'm able to run removable bit, run removable that, that's amazing, right? But every situation where that doesn't happen and the card is terrible, maybe that's not what you want to do. And maybe even let's say you do have those defense reactions, it might just be net better for you just to be on the aggressive the entire time and always have consistency to be able to do that. Yeah. Do you know what? There's a there's a good thing I think here with like um I think if you were naturally a bit more of someone who questions things, maybe a bit more of a pessimist. You you have you know you like to you know say uh, I want reasons to include this card, not reasons to uh, you know not include the card. I think you're going to have a better approach, probably. Not saying you should be a pessimist and that's going to be great, but what I mean is that if you're questioning why these things come into the deck rather than just the I guess the the reason they're in there, so why shouldn't they be in there? You're gonna you're gonna find probably the weaknesses of these. So if I talk about immovable, well, the reason that this is great in my Katsu aggro deck against Dorinthia is that I can get it into Arsenal, I can blow out their Steel Blade Supremacy turn, or I can, you know, find their biggest turn, I'm gonna pivot off of it. And that's like that's yeah, that's a great point, that's a great theory. But also why shouldn't I include this in my deck? Well it costs three and I only run twelve blues in my deck or fifteen blues. Um it doesn't it's not a zero cost, so I can't pitch it to my Katsu's ability. Um it doesn't pitch to let me have big turns. It's not an aggressive card, it doesn't it's not an attack action, so it doesn't allow me to actually, you know play it out of my hand as an attack action. So there's all these reasons why you shouldn't include that card. Uh, so I think it's just as important for why you should include a card as, as, you know, why you shouldn't include cards. And then you just weigh it up at the end of the day. Maybe it's still the correct decision to have these unmovables in there um, because it's so good that even though it impacts your game plan negatively, it's only three cards and you can justify it or, or whatever. There's going to be reasons that you can can or cannot justify it. 
Yeah. And finally here, just kind of circling back on this one too, I think just don't be married to your sideboard, right? It is the toolbox of your deck often. So I think it needs to be a dynamic, you know, a dynamic part as well. If it's not working, fix it. You know, that is kind of the the section that you can be the most creative with. That's where we see, I think, the biggest differentials around deck builds is what's in the sideboard and what tools are they bringing. Because a lot of it, most of the time, it's a meta call, right? Mm-hmm. As, as Flesh and Blood continues to grow, more sets come into the game, gone will be the days that you can just have a sideboard that can attack every single hero in the meta. So sometimes you got to just make concessions, right? You got to make a call on the meta and tune your sideboard to reflect that call and maybe that means you don't have null rune three you've got the null rune one you know all those kind of things yeah the last thing i would say to to round it out is i look at more and more as we move through this game i'm looking at my sideboard options as like packages i think um because they're things that i'm almost like almost like plug and play into core game plans that i've got so it could be like a null rune package like you're talking about that's three cards it could be uh six six card package of defense reactions it could be a 12 card package of cards that change my game plan like i'm actively starting to look at this game more and more from a sideboarding stance of like packages and how those actually come into play um and that allows me to like sort of isolate them as well when things don't go right or the plan's not you know what i feel like i should be on or meta changes and i maybe move one of those packages out and another package comes in in its place yeah absolutely well thank you all so much for listening as we close out here i do want to obviously shout out the youtube channel that is arsenal pass on youtube we have tons of extra content there we have our youtube exclusive now moving towards um streaming platforms near you the arsenal pass time of the round the format of that has also switched we do have a guest coming on every single week this week's guest is carol from flesh and blood the infamous developer and brute player so really happy to be able to get him on um so check that out there's also deck text gameplay everything you're looking for and finally the boomers of walk of wraith have figured out how to use twitter um so hayden is located at fiendel f-i-e-n underscore dale and i am located at brendan b-r-e-n-d-a-n a-p-g um i did switch away from the 50 shades because it was just i mean there's just too much two identities you know i felt torn um finally a big big thank you to all of our patrons we're over 200 patrons already it's incredible you know how much we've grown and what it's allowed us to be able to do like i said we do have exclusive content on there if we host the deck tech on Arsenal Pass on Patreon, we're going to be posting, you know, the actual, you know, writing out all the sideboard guides for you, um, talking about deck theory, ratios, Excel sheets, everything you need to pick it up and start being competitive. We also have live sessions and extra pods and just, you know, tons of content on there if you want to level up your game. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. See you later.